The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be together. Um, you know, I, I really appreciated, Jessica, your, your sharing, your encouraging of the women of the church, your, your vision. Um, you know, the men's ministry, it, it is connect, grow, and serve as well. Can we borrow that? It's just, it's just perfect, right? That's what we want. we want. We want connections of relationships. We want, obviously, growing in your, in your knowledge and love of the Lord. And then, you know, if we're consistent with God's word, it puts us to work. It causes us to love one another and serve one another. Uh, we're not as organized as the women. We have... We have men's groups. You know, the Wednesday morning men's group is a Zoom. And uh, if you guys, um, I need to get a screenshot. I should have got a screenshot and shared it. But we've had, which missionaries? Uh, Daryl Jordan in the Philippines is a regular. Ricardo Morales in Colombia. Um, Fikret Bocek joined us this last Wednesday. And he was in Transylvania, of all places, at a, a Reformation Europe pastors uh, conference planning churches and got to share with us. We got to say hello to the, these pastors that, that they were gathering with. Who am I missing? Huh? Joey Tell joined us. Pastor Sam is a regular. I didn't even, I didn't even uh, think. So, um, so. Uh, check out our website. There's a link to that Zoom or contact me and I'll, I'll send you that link. But that's a wonderful opportunity. Then we have a, a noon uh, men's group that is meeting at Trinity Presbyterian just because uh, one of the longtime uh, uh, guys that's been a part of that uh, men's group is an elder at Trinity and we needed a place to meet. And uh, so we're meeting there and we have lunch. And uh, it's just a great opportunity to... Um, to grow in the Lord, to make those connections. And I was just thinking, you know, if, if you're hearing Jessica and you're a man and you're thinking, I would like that one-on-one mentor, mentorship, um, ask, ask me about that. I would, I, we could do the same kind of thing as far as encouraging materials, um, maybe, maybe um, thinking of someone that would be good to connect you with. So this is the discipleship of the church, and it's a beautiful thing, and, and it's fitting for... Uh, the sermon this morning, where we're at in the book of Acts. So, you know, there's an old German fable about a faithful cat. Never mind. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, listen to last week's sermon. No one cares. <laughs> so, it wouldn't cut you to the heart. Last week, We considered this Jesus that's described in God's word. The true Jesus that that Peter presents in his great evangelistic sermon. And this morning we're going to look at the church that comes together as a result of this. And ask, what should we have in common with them? What we see in Acts is a... A Jesus who is sovereign, 
He's the, ascend, the ascended Lord. And then Pentecost, which announces the, the beginning of the last days, which will culminate as Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead. This Jesus, who is worthy of our worship, because he is the God-man who represented us and died in our place and rose again, triumphing over death because it was impossible for him not to do so. He is the one who is worthy of our undying love and thankfulness because he has so graciously forgiven us and saved us from the hell that we deserve. And when we see this, when God opens our eyes to this reality, we're cut to the heart. And we ask, is there any, is there any hope? And the good news is yes, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins and stop walking in them and turn to Jesus. Change your thinking about him. Follow him. And the way to follow him is to be a part of his church. This Jesus has a real church. A real church that sees him for who he is. And it's radically changed. And I don't think we see that growing up in in America, American evangelicalism, that's seeker-sensitive and entertainment-driven and I think it diminishes this aspect of the radical change of the Holy Spirit in each individual equipping us to be like this church that we're going to read about. This first century church, it's not perfect. Read the rest, you know, some chapters on into Acts or the, the epistles of the New Testament and the things that they were the sins that they were struggling with. And we know that they're not perfect. But wow, what a radical change that we see in this second chapter of Acts. This deep devotion that impacts their day-to-day living and priorities. And if we see this same Jesus, we should have this in common with them. Their priorities being our priorities because we, well, we we share the same Holy Spirit. One of the priorities that we see is that that church is devoted to prayer. And so let's begin our time praying together. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, our confidence is in you. You have made yourself known in creation. And so we have a sense of your beauty and grace, your power and might. You've spoken through the Old Testament fathers and prophets declaring your word in ways that have been perfectly fulfilled, even in small details. And so we know that this is your story. You are the the author of life and the writer of history and nothing can thwart your plan. And in these last days, you have spoken to us through your son. And we are here to worship him. Worship him as the heir of all things. Worship him as the the one who created all things and upholds all things by the word of his power. This Jesus, who is the radiance of your glory, 
the exact imprint of your nature, who has accomplished salvation for us and given us access to come into your holy presence and, oh, how we take this for granted. We confess and ask that you would give us a, a taste of the awe that these first believers had. That you'd work in our hearts so that our devotion is not simply something prompted by guilt or tradition or duty, but love and joy. Thank you for blessing us with your word, for your Holy Spirit who translates it to our hearts and then brings about a right response. Lord, give us a a similar devotion because of the same Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're in Acts 2, and we will read, follow along as I read verses 37 to 47. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is God's word. Uh, You may be seated. Well, this church is devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to worship, to evangelism. And when we look at this Church in Acts, we should ask what characteristics are unique to them and only apply to that particular time, and what should be true of us? What, sh- what, what should we share in common with them? Pentecost, we recognize, was a unique event a fulfillment of prophecy that announced the beginning of a, of a new era, the new covenant, the last days. 
And so we don't expect those same signs and wonders because they already did the job. They already did what they were intended to do, which is to announce what's already begun, the last days. And we, But we do expect the same Holy Spirit to fill us because the apostles' teaching tells us that in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What we should expect is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, and that the Holy Spirit fills and equips all believers for the work of ministry. What we should expect is a transformation in our lives. And when you think about it, how could we not expect to be changed when God's Spirit actually indwells us? Impossible. Peter was radically changed as the Holy Spirit enabled and used him. The reaction that we see in these first believers is radical as well. Their salvation didn't just change their expectations for the future. It changed them at the core of their being. This is the result of the same Holy Spirit who indwells us. The same Holy Spirit who changes us. And so, shouldn't we expect similar characteristics? Christ's ascension and the miracle of Pentecost are unique events. While studying the scriptures and and praying are essentials that should continue. Okay, here's an interesting observation. Doesn't the experience of miraculous signs and wonders sound more exciting than Bible study and prayer? More exciting than Bible study and prayer. So, more exciting than maybe sharing a meal. Why don't we read that they were devoted to praying for another Pentecost-like experience? It's not what we see. Why are they not craving and desiring that? Because the primary purpose of the miraculous signs and wonders has to do with God giving a unique authority. He did this with the prophets of old. He did this with Jesus. He, did, he does this now with Jesus' apostles. And the point always has to do with authority. With God validating a person to speak and write with his authority. The people already saw the sign. And the apostles were with them. And what they were excited about was to hear what the sign alerted them to. The apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching concerning Jesus. They were excited to know Jesus. How about you? Excited to get to know Jesus more and more? Years into your Christian walk, are you excited to get to know him more? The point of God's word, after all, is to learn about, to better see and communicate 
the greatest person ever, the Savior, the one who loves you perfectly and wants to make you into the person that God intends you to be. So when the apostles died, we understand that God's word about Jesus is complete. And their teachings and the writings that they recognized as scripture, they became our New Testaments. This is why we should have a problem with people claiming similar signs and wonders and a a new word of prophecy. Because God's word is complete. We have all that we need. And there's nothing more, nothing better than this Jesus. It's offensive, actually, to say that Jesus failed to speak fully through them and that he's not enough and we need another word. It's offensive. And again, this doesn't mean that God doesn't do miracles today. That's not at all what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that there couldn't be a situation where a missionary is somewhere and he can't communicate and God gives them a miraculous gift of speaking their language to communicate. God can do what he wants to do. And praise God, that, that's wonderful. We're not going to put him in, we should never put God in a box. But we also need to rightly understand why God has done what he's done. What this means when we look at it in scripture. We need to understand it, well for one, So we can avoid following after a false prophet or diminishing the authority of his perfect and complete word. God's word gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. And to look for something more is a denial of biblical truth. So all that to say, there are some things that we should expect and other things that we should not. We should expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit and equipped for the work of ministry. We should expect God to use us. Not just the deacons and pastors and elders. You. You have the Holy Spirit. He's gifted you. He's equipped you. You have unique situations and contacts and people and He wants you to do, he intends for you to do the work of ministry. And so part of our discipleship, part of our worship, part of the point of teaching is to help equip you for that work of ministry that the Holy Spirit empowers and enables. You know, what I love about this this church in Acts is that they were devoted. They were um, not half-hearted. They didn't compartmentalize their faith. No, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The model given to us is that we should be devoted to these things. The apostles' teaching, which is the New Testament, fellowship, worship, and evangelism. Not just uh, consider these things for a time, or do these things when it's convenient, or when you're initially excited about Jesus. No, they devoted themselves to these things. 
all the time. They were attending to these things. They were being constant in them. They were continuing steadfastly devoted. Our faith is not a a supplement that we take. It's not like a, a jacket that we put on and then take off when we get home from church. It's not some new compartment. No, the the center of their world has changed. Jesus is not something superficial. He's at the core of their being. The church is learning. The church is a studying church. And Luke goes on to describe them as joyful and expanding and full of life. And a church today that is devoted to knowing God's word should be these things as well. There will be joy as we worship. There will be joy as we do life together and care for one another. This is what a church should be. If any church should be called a spirit-filled church, it's, it's this first century church, right? <laughs> right after Pentecost. Gathering together, coming off of this, this miracle of, of Pentecost. And, and what does the Spirit prompt them to do? To study. To study and know God's Word. More specifically, the Apostles' teaching. And the Apostles' teaching had to do with Jesus because what did Jesus choose them for? Remember, it was, it, it was to remember uh, all that occurred in Jesus' earthly ministry, the things that he taught to remember, to record these things, to write them down, and the Holy Spirit would enable them to do so. And, and then it was to, to teach about these things, things that Jesus later taught them before he ascended. That, after he rose and before he ascended, he taught them about the connections with the Old Testament and what they had to say about Jesus. So the, the apostles put these pieces together for us. Our New Testament gospels tell the story of Jesus and give his, his teaching. And then all of these epistles that make up our New Testament are letters that the apostles wrote to churches concerning Jesus, concerning his nature and who he is and then the implications of our faith and how we are to be. So... This is why awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And likewise, Paul tells us the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utter, utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. So they were beholding Miraculous signs and wonders with the apostles. And it was all validating this. It was all God saying, they have the authority. And this eventually becomes our New Testament. The people of that day had confidence in the apostles' teachings because God did this. He authenticated their ministry. And so we should have a similar confidence as well in our New Testaments. So when you read some fictional conspiracy theory about other gospels or letters that were left out of our Bibles, you shouldn't give it a thought. 
It's ridiculous because there were lots of writings, yes. There were lots of Gnostic Gospels. And everyone knew in the church to reject them. They rejected them because they weren't the apostles' teaching. They weren't authorized, approved by the apostles. So there was no confusion. And we shouldn't be confused either. A spirit-filled church is always a Bible-studying church because spirit-filled people want what the spirit is about. And the spirit is about bearing witness to Jesus. This is what the scriptures are for. They They are breathed out by God's Holy Spirit so that we might know Jesus who is eternal life. Do you believe this? And if so, why aren't we more devoted to reading and studying something so unique and so amazing? Why? Vestiges of sin still we struggle with. We're not perfect. We're being sanctified. And we need God's word in that process. Being a Christian means that we're devoted to God's word. There's no getting around it. We shouldn't want to get around it. Devoted in, devoted to God's word. Devoted in teaching it to our children. In our, in our Sunday school classes. In our home groups. In our small groups. Devoted to preaching it. Devoted to reading and studying it on our own. Doing a, a, a Bible reading plan or doing a, a, a small women's small group study or a men's study. Devoted to encouraging each other that this is where you'll find Jesus. Here's where you'll grow to love him more. Here's where you'll learn how to please him. To be able to share him with those who wonder, why do you hope the way that you do? What's the reason for the hope within you? This is why we encourage all of these things. The Bible reading plans and the small groups and classes. We need to be devoted to this. And I'm always open to hearing new ideas of how we can encourage one another in this way. So, let us know, communicate uh, a need that maybe we're missing. A second area of devotion is fellowship. And there's something really exciting about this word fellowship. It's a word you're really familiar with, and we tend to think of it just in regard to friendship or when we have a third Sunday lunch, um, when we just get together. Fellowship is not just friendship. It's not simply being together or sharing a meal. It involves these things, but there's a deeper reason for these activities. They're just activities. There's a deep reason. There's something deep with fellowship. Many of you know the Greek word for fellowship. It's koinonia, which means to hold something in common. Common is really the key word here. Common is the root word here. And you see this if you, if you think of the Greek language that was spoken at that time. What was it called? It was called Koine Greek. 
koine, meaning common. It was the common language. So at the root of fellowship is this idea of what we have in common. But this idea, it's not a, it's not superficial. Because we might have a lot of, you know, it's not just superficial things that we have in common with each other. Uh, we have a lot of things in common that, you know, it, it's how friendships are made, right? Uh, this person has something, a common interest of mine, and so now they're my friend. Um, it's not that. Those are superficial reasons, just common interests. But what's really beautiful about the Christian faith is that it's not about a lot of common things that we might share. It's not about a common race, gender, it's not about socioeconomic Uh, status, it's not about ability or disability, it's not about common age, you know, we tend to split up into, you know, uh, teen groups or, uh, or people will ask, well, what home group would fit? Who's like me? We shouldn't ask that question. (laughs) Uh, Teens, kids who are here, be a part of a home group that has a bunch of old people in it. All the wisdom there. Seriously. Um, Pastor Dale has always encouraged us throughout the, the life of this church that, that we need to mix our ages. We need to be together. We can benefit from one another. So we don't want to just divide up in those ways. There's benefits to, you know, teen boys having a hike and getting to know each other. And that's great. But we should also mix in our home groups. Ages. So this is what's beautiful about the Christian faith. It's it's not just those common things. What's beautiful about our faith is that Christ breaks down all of those things, right? All the cliques, all the superficial commonalities that divide people. The early church was made up of both Jew and Gentile. It's the most powerful force in history for women's rights as it recognizes that both men and women are valuable parts of the body of Christ. There were, you know, think about it. When the the church came, occurred uh, at the first century, you know, there's there's a a lot of the population are slaves. So you imagine being in in a church or in a home group with slaves and masters who are now brothers and sisters who care for one another and love each other. Christ broke all that down. I love this about our faith. Having that sense of connection with someone that's different. But because they know and love Jesus, it it strips all of those superficial things away. Some of my closest friends are very different than me. And I think on a natural level, If it was just a natural thing, we probably wouldn't be friends. But because we both love Jesus, that's that's what we have in common. Or you might realize that in a home group. It's like, you know, I wouldn't naturally hang out with these people, but I love them. That's fellowship. Have you ever been traveling? You know, another 
another country somewhere and you, you randomly meet another Christian and it hits you, this is my brother, this is my sister, and immediately, you would never do this in any other situation, you know, you might be nice with people, but you wouldn't have that connection. This fellowship, because we share something in common, great spiritual realities in common concerning Christ. A church should be devoted to fellowship, which means that we're the the most likely gathering of diverse people groups. We are the most likely, you know, our, our culture wants to paint the church as being this, or, you know, as, being, as not being diverse, as being um, discriminatory. But we should be the, the most diverse gathering of people. The normal walls of society shouldn't be a barrier to those who love Jesus. Here's something interesting about Christian fellowship. John tells us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship, here's what's interesting. Our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So when we come to know Christ, we have fellowship with him, with God. And having fellowship with God means that we share in him. And we we start becoming like him. And this is why John says a few verses later, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the dark, we lie. We don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship involves sameness. So if we have fellowship with God, then we'll have the most important thing in common, meaning we'll, we'll love what he loves. It doesn't mean perfection in this life, but it does mean we resemble him. So here's a question. If you, if you limit your fellowship to just a couple of people that you like, is that really fellowship? God is generous in his love. He's inviting. And if we're not, then that's not a common sharing of God. It's not fellowship. In other words, our fellowship is only fellowship if it's in line with God, if it resembles God, if it's something in common or consistent with him. So our fellowship with God and true fellowship with others go together. Some people have said that the stronger your your vertical fellowship is, the stronger your horizontal fellowship will be. So if you find yourself out of fellowship with God, you'll begin to find yourself out of fellowship with other Christians. Again, John says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. There's an inconsistency. They they don't go together. You can't mix light and dark. 
If you find yourself hating Christians and calling them hypocrites and avoiding church, but you think you enjoy fellowship with God, you're in the dark. You're wrong. You're not in fellowship with God. You're not living in a way that's common with God. It doesn't reflect him at all because God loves his people and he never leaves them. The person who says they're a Christian and yet doesn't like the church, the people that Jesus loves, that person is a contradiction. True vertical fellowship will always result in horizontal fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with Christians go together. If you're close to other Christians, you'll grow closer to God. And if you're close to God, you'll find yourself drawn to other Christians. It's just the way it is. This early church didn't just do their duty and go through the motions. We are not simply imitators of God out of obligation, but Imitators because we share something in common with God. We have fellowship with him. And this pours out to his church. And a great example that we see in our, in our text, an amazing example that we see in our text, a scary example for many that we see in our text, is the sacrificial, generous giving that we see in our text. God is, and think of it, Let's make the connections. God is sacrificial in his love for us. God is giving of himself. God cares for our needs. He provides. Do we have this in common with him? Being devoted to fellowship means that that we'll be like him toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is why we see them, oh, they're selling stuff? Are they crazy? We American Christians think. Why is it that we see them selling their possessions? This is why we see them selling possessions. In order to give the proceeds to others when they're in need. And these Christians would. They would definitely be in need. I mean remember. They're under persecution. Remember the threats that we read about. As we were going through the gospel of John. To people who followed Christ. The threat was, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue, which meant we're kicking you out of society, business, family, friends. You're going to lose it all. You're going to be banished. And so this fellowship, this fellowship of the church, this family of the church is what Jesus had in mind when he said, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. He's describing the church. He's describing what we read about in Acts 2. the, The family, the generosity. You lost this, but you gained this. There's a new family in Christ. And what we see in Acts 2 is it's, it's fellowship. It's not communism. <laughs> Such a ridiculous claim by some. Some will strangely use this passage 
which describes the selling of possessions to help those in need, having everything in common, common's a key word, fellowship, and say, see, they had all these things in common. Nobody had private property. And they miss a few important facts. Fellowship is that common bond in Christ. And so it spills over, here's the key word, in generosity because we're a family. And when you read through Acts, you see people still owning houses, still having private property. Um, They're just very generous in the midst of hard persecution. And communism is not people giving. It's people being forced to hand over their possessions. What we see here is generosity and love and a desire to help those in need. It's, it's not coercion or theft, which is what communism is. Again, our fellowship is a picture of who God is. And God does not sacrificially give to us out of obligation or because he's threatened. No, he loves to give. And so fellowship means we have this in common with God, and and now we will love to give. Okay, so you might wonder, why don't we see people selling their stuff and generously giving it to meet people's needs in the church today? And I would say, yes, we do. (laughs) All the time. Didn't you just give a bunch of money? Didn't you give a bunch of your stuff in order to meet the need of buying a new car for Pastor Sam and Millie for the sake of the gospel, it's the same thing. Don't you, you give generously to, to other missionaries? Don't you realize that, that your regular generous gifts to this church go to meet many practical needs of people in our community and brothers and sisters in Christ right here? It's the same thing. The deacons and elders are always trying to keep their ears open to needs within the body. And your, your regular financial gifts make this kind of love and generosity possible. And if you're not giving, why not? You have fellowship with a giving God. Shouldn't this be pouring out? An overflow of joyful generosity in the church. God is a sacrificial, generous provider. And a part of our fellowship means that you take giving seriously. That you seek to share this common trait with God by joyfully giving to your church. And and you do. What an amazing year when we elders have met or the financial team advisory team meets and it's like wow how generous is our church family so yes we're commanded to give but fellowship means that we do so out of love and with a joyful heart like these a third area of devotion in the early church that should be true of us involves our worship Verse 42 summarizes this as breaking of bread and and the prayers. And then verses 46 through 47 give us a little more detail. 
saying, and, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And God added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day, they were involved in each other's lives. Worshiping at the temple, sharing a meal in their homes, praising God together, and likely sharing communion. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to our devotion. And again, the point isn't guilt. It's not to say, why can't you be more like your brothers and sisters in the first century? No, their circumstances were different. But let's not miss the heart of it. Instead of guilt, we ought to see that they had something special. And we should want the same. Our world is it's different from theirs. But we have the same Holy Spirit. And we are Christ's church. And so we should have similar devotion that prioritizes God's word and fellowship and worshiping together, both formally and informally, both on a Sunday morning and in home groups. And I see this in a lot of you, and it's beautiful. Their worship and fellowship, it involved prayer. And likewise, we need to be a praying people. Praying for this kind of love for Christ and love for each other to grow. Praying about meeting the needs of others and praying that the Lord would add to our number as he added to theirs. So if we, if we live superficial lives, pursuing the same things as unbelievers do, things that may not be sinful in and of themselves, right? But things that keep us from church or keep us from a small group or a church event, then why would it surprise us if we feel empty? And why would we encourage these same things for our children? When you read Acts 2, don't you get the sense that they're filled with joy? Of course they are. They're They're holding something in common with God. And and this is the beginning of true fellowship. You won't find any greater joy or purpose in life than this. And this kind of radical transformation, it's a witness to the unbelieving world around us. So lastly, as a result of their devotion to God's word and to fellowship and to worship, we see a harvest as the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When you're cut to the heart and receive such grace and forgiveness, when you're, when you're in awe of God and have a, a new hope and joy in Christ and joy in his people, how do we not share this good news? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have the Lord add to our number those who are being saved? Neighbors, co-workers, friends. But, you know, parents, start with your, your little ones. Let them see your love for Jesus as you 
devote yourself to getting to know him more and more. Let them see you reading your Bible. Let them see that your faith is not just one compartment of your life. But that it's at the core of who you are. Let them see your, your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ in practical ways and caring for them and generosity. Open your home. Show hospitality. Make, make Sunday mornings a priority. Let them notice that you, that you stop and you pray for people or you pray about a circumstance that you pray about everything. Let them see that. And that you're And that your prayers have a right vision of who God is. God who is awesome and holy. Let them hear you talking about the gospel and how beautiful it is. Let them hear you sharing it with others. Keep talking with them about what it means to be saved. And even... Grown kids, be consistent. Keep talking about the Lord. Don't minimize the effect that that can have on their hearts. Begin with your children. Pray for opportunities with unbelieving neighbors and friends. Do you you ever just do that? have no idea, start the day. It's like, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to share the gospel with someone today? Do that. Let's devote ourselves to these things. Let's devote ourselves to these things, to, to pray that God will do the saving and add to the joy of his church. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, we bow in humble awe and reverence before you. For you are holy, holy, holy. You are the God who saves. And we pray that you would use us and add to your church. We pray for the coming of your kingdom. And that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus, we we praise you as sovereign ruler and king. The nations are your heritage. The ends of the earth, your possession. Come, Lord. Come and make all things right. And as we wait, we ask that you would give us our daily bread. That you'd forgive us our sins. Make us a gracious and generous and forgiving people like you. For your glory, Lord, you are able. Please keep us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's your kingdom. You are almighty God. And all glory belongs to you forever and ever. Amen.